I'm Rob. I'm Nate. And welcome back to your Rob and Nate Recorded Podcast. And we are now moving into our Christmas content for 2020. And we started off tonight with the 1992 The Muppets Christmas Carol. Indeed. Uh, What do you think of this movie, Nate? Well, um, you're more partial to it than I am. Yes, Uh, I was the one that that pushed for it. I, I enjoy it. I've seen it. I don't know, three, four, five, six times, something like that over the years. Yeah. It's good. I like it. Uh, I, you know, I'm always open for a Paul Williams score, and this is a good one. Now, do you generally think of this as a, like, theatrical movie? I guess so. I know that it was. It, it was released theatrically, but evidently it was originally intended to be a TV special. Oh, really? Yeah. But for whatever reason, it got morphed into a theatrical release, so... Hmm. Yeah. This was the first post-Jim Henson death Muppet movie. Yes. Yep. Uh, And there was other uh, Muppeteers who had also passed on around this same time. Um, One in particular, I forget his name right now, but yeah, that it was, it was big for them to move past that. And I think that's part of why this might've been pushed into the theatrical release. Mm -hmm. Um, No, I, as you mentioned, I'm partial to this one of the various adaptations of, Charles Dickens, uh, The Christmas Carol. This is my favorite adaptation. Um, Interesting. I'm not sure if I can entirely pinpoint why. I think it's because the Muppets take what is, you know, kind of a dark topic and and make it not as dark while also being dark. Mm-hmm. Was this one of the first versions that you saw? Is that maybe part of the reason why? I think actually the first version I saw was Scrooged, which I have never oh, liked. Yeah. I liked it at the time, but the, the last time I rewatched it, which was probably approaching 15 years, I remember being kind of off-put by it. Yeah. I actually don't know that I ever enjoyed watching Scrooged. I think even the first time I watched it, I didn't like it. Mm. But yeah, yeah. So I have a favorite version of A Christmas Carol, and I have a favorite Ebenezer Scrooge, but they're in different versions. Yeah. So my favorite Ebenezer Scrooge is Alistair Sims, the British actor in the 1951 British version. But my favorite overall version of the story is the 1970 musical Scrooge starring Albert Finney, who's good, but he's yeah. just not my favorite performance of, of Scrooge. But I first got introduced to the story, I think, through uh, the Mickey's Christmas Carol. It was a half-hour special uh that aired on uh, tv in the mid 80s and i remember the it was at the time it was called hardy's it's carl's juniors now yeah. but uh they were giving out these plush toys uh from the characters from that and i got every single one of them and i broke my donald and we had to go and i insisted that we go back and get another donald duck so that i could complete my collection yeah how long did you hang on to that oh you know I wonder where they are now. But I hung out. I, I'm, I'm going to say at least in the high school I had those. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah. This, you know, it's... I like the Mickey one that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it both was too short. It is and very a, short. And a little lighthearted. Mm-hmm. I mean, Charles Dickens... I the, the, It's a ghost story. The Christmas Carol, it's, it's a dark... Mm-hmm a dark topic for the vast majority of the movie and it needs to be treated a little bit darkly and i think it this hits that right balance of being dark but not you know but being the muppets still. it is the muppets but you know michael kane is giving a real performance to scrooge he's play it's it's played straight more or less so uh, evidently michael kane told 
the director, which was Brian Henson, Jim Brian Henson's Henson, son. Jim Henson's um, son. He, he, evidently, he told Brian Henson that he was going to play this like he was in a stage production with all humans. He wasn't going to do anything Muppety. He wanted to play it straight. Yeah, and you know, good choice. It works very well. Uh, of course, there's no real need to go over the story uh, of this because yeah. it's so so universally known. But uh, towards so they use Gonzo and Rizzo the Rat as the narrators, and they basically bow out. And they tell you they're bowing out for the future segment, and then they come back afterwards which I think was a super smart decision, which I feel like I noticed more this viewing than, than previously, because that is really the emotional core of the film. That that segment yeah, is, is can, moving. Yeah, Michael Caine clearly carries that fine with mm. no, no needed assistance. Yeah. yeah, They step out of the way and said, okay, for a little while, we're going to get rid of a lot of this filter. And that seg- segment at the Cratchits after... Tiny Tim has died. I mean, you want to tear up. I mean, it's legitimately sad. Yeah. Well, and the thing that stood out to me on this one uh, viewing, though I don't know why it's never, the thought has never occurred to me till today, I think I actually figured out the whole crux of the Christmas Carol and, and why it happens. Indeed. Why Ebenezer Scrooge has his, his uh, visions uh, when his nephew Fred comes over to visit him. Fred must have dosed him with psychotropics. Hmm. So he goes home, he has a trip, and he and comes out a better man. This was brought on by the realization that, uh, because they have Stanley and Waldorf as the Marley brothers, they're Jacob and Robert, yeah, or Jacob and Bob Marley. Yeah. There is actually a couple other Bob Marley references in this. Actually, one of the other things I wanted to mention, uh, the thing, one of the things that stood out to me this time, is for a Muppets movie... This has some real subtleties to it, and most of the subtleties are in the store names. Mm. I only pointed one out to you during the movie, which was that one of the the shops is named Statler and Waldorf. Mm. Um, But that's the only one I pointed out to you. But there's, I'm going to look it up here in just a second, but Michael Caine's birth name, his last name, his actual given birth name, uh, the, the last name, the family name, is the name of one of the stores. Indeed. Right. It's actually after... The Ghost of Christmas Future visits him, and he's taking the turkey to the Marleys. It's right there. All right. Jacob and Robert Marley, surrounded by whaling cash boxes, is a na- nod to Bob Marley and the Whalers. Oh, okay. That was the one I'd seen. So, anyways. And the reference I made earlier. Uh, in the final musical scene, a store in the background is called Micklewhite. Michael Caine was born Maurice Joseph Micklewhite. Indeed. And that's why they did that. But there's there's a few others where the store names are references to to something funny in the movie or something like that. So yeah. Another thing that I looked up uh, while we were watching this was the story, obviously adapted from Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. Uh, but the screenplay was written by Jerry Jewell, who I believe you said was the, the number first one full time employee of Jim Henson Productions, yeah. and he had a hand in. Everything that Jim Henson did from uh, Sam and Friends, their public TV show back in the 50s and 60s, basically through his death in 2005, with the exception of The Muppets Take Manhattan, which was written by somebody else. Hmm. I mean, he, yeah, I mean, The Muppets, the the Jim Henson productions, it, it clearly was, they were all together for forever. Yeah. So. You still got some of them hanging on, like Frank Oz. Yeah. 
you know, yeah. who still works on Sesame Street and, yeah. and does does things for that company. This was actually the first Muppets movie that didn't feature any Sesame Street characters. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Wonder that that, that must have been a conscious decision. I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I think this called for few enough characters. I mean, they had to insert yeah. like the penguin gag just to, to mm. involve more Muppets in it in general. And then also of interest is that all uh, three of the ghosts are not reuses of known Muppet characters, but were original characters yeah. for the story, which probably was the way to go. The ghost of Christmas past, they created a Muppet and then filmed its sequences in a tank of water. And then uh-huh. green screened it onto the thing to get that to get that look ethereal yeah. movement and yeah. So how what uh, how would you rate this movie? Well, there were honestly in this showing moments in which I was kind of bored. Yeah. So I'm going to go at go off of the way that I kind of first saw it, and I would have to I have to give it a three. Yeah. Probably a seven. That's actually exactly where I'm at. Is three stars. Uh, on the four-star scale and seven stars on the ten-star scale. This is a solid film if you're, you've are you never seen it before. Watch it on Christmas time. I don't think I watch it every Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I pull it out every couple of years. If, if I'm really interested in watching a, an adaptation of A Christmas Carol, this is usually one of my go-tos. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, I don't actually feel the need to watch A Christmas Carol every Christmas. No. Perhaps it's because the person I relate to the most is Ebenezer Scrooge. Indeed. And it makes me a little too cranky around mm, the holidays. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the two probably holiday movie characters I relate to the most are the Grinch and Ebenezer Scrooge. Indeed. So, yeah. Yep. So this was released in 1992. Mm-hmm. It did modestly well in theaters. But mm. do you know what beat it out that holiday season? Oh, no. Home Alone, Home Alone 2. Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Yes. Okay, yeah. Uh, this had an estimated budget of $12 million. How would you guess this fared? Well, you said it didn't do particularly well. It did modestly well. It did modestly well. Yeah. $17 million. Uh, better than that, its domestic opening was $5 million, but its domestic gross was $27 million. Oh, that's good. And its worldwide gross was only $32 million. Oh, okay. But at $32 million on a $20 million budget. And this is a film that strikes me as a home video film. Yeah. That was discovered after its theatrical run. Yeah. Well, there was actually things reinserted into the DVD that were not included in the theatrical release. I was reading about that, that there were some edits, uh, including an entire song, yeah. uh, Bell's song, uh, in the middle of the film that was removed because they thought it slowed it down too much for younger viewers. And yeah. it was reinserted subsequently, which is a very solid song. Yeah. And apparently they re-edited, after screenings, they re-edited one clip into a, a little bit earlier into the movie, and that's because uh, when they screened this for children, the children came out and asked the producers what the bookkeepers had done wrong because they received coal. Yeah. Mm. You know, and I, evidently the producers had genuinely forgotten that Santa delivers coal to bad kids. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't think this, this episode's going to be particularly long because it's it's pretty straightforward as to what this is and, yeah, you know, whatnot, but... Oh, oh, Michael Caine considers the role of Scrooge to be one of his most memorable films, at least to himself. Indeed. Which I, I can see that. I think that's great. Michael Michael Caine, of course, is Sir Michael Caine as a, as a tremendous actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and evidently, it wasn't until halfway through the, the production that Michael Caine realized this was Brian Henson's directorial debut. Oh, really? So, 
Oh, evidently in an interview for the, the release of this film, Kermit the Frog stated that the most important piece of acting advice ever given to him was given by Mike, Sir Michael Caine on the set of this movie. Oh, yeah? His advice? Never blink. Oh. <laughs> so, the, the song that Marley and Marley sing, mm-hmm. apparently there's, there's a, an additional verse that only appears on the soundtrack. And the lyrics to the, second, or to the additional verse says, We're Marley and Marley, and now it's time to part. To go back where they keep our kind, the wretched and the heartless. The news we've shared has got you scared. We're glad we, that we got you, that we got through. So make amends and make some friends. The future's up to you. Uh, alternate possibilities for the role of Scrooge included Peter O'Toole and David Warner, both of whom would have done a great job. And George Carlin. Which would have had a very different tone. Yes. I'm glad they went with Michael Caine. Anything else you want to add on this one? Yeah, we've given our ratings. I guess this will be a short one. Muppets Christmas Carol, you want to tell them what else we're doing this month? I'm going to be eating and breathing, going to work. In terms of podcasts. <laughs> okay. Uh, additional Christmas material is on its way, likely to include How the Grinch Stole Christmas for the, the Jim 20th Carrey anniversary. version. Uh, possibly. Nate's the not thrilled about that one. Animated. Star Wars holiday special that just premiered this year. Yeah. And possibly other offerings, including some blasts from the past, namely episodes we recorded last year that didn't get wide release. Well, yeah, those will be out. So, all right. Well, I'm Rob. I'm Nate. And this is Rob and Nate Record a Podcast. Blurp. So, uh, the daughters of uh, Bob and Emily Cratchit, the two uh, pig daughters. Mm-hmm. Have the uh, most soulless eyes of any twin since The Shining. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>